You are listening to Real Men Feel with Andy Grant. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having, but all men can benefit from. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get to it. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant, and I'm very excited that you're joining us today. And I'm, I still, uh, 2020 still feels really fresh and exciting to me, and I hope that that's true for you. Uh, regardless of when you're watching this, if whatever day you're in feels fresh and exciting, that would be a wonderful experience. You know, uh, around New Year's Eve, I was contemplating changing the name. I had heard from a couple of potential guests that the, that the real men part of the show was kind of triggering them, and I recalled like why I made, named it this way, and the whole real men do this, how it always bugged me and felt separating. And, uh, and then I had the pleasure of meeting today's guest. And he said, oh, I love that real men feel title. And, you know, that's what I live. That's what I coach. So I'm fired up for this. And uh, that's why he's here. So let's make this official. Um, mm. Everyone would like you to meet, uh, I'd like you to meet Vince Belito. He's a high performance life, business, and recovery coach committed to bringing others into their full potential through the use of his unique methodology for rapid clearing of trauma self-limiting beliefs, and ineffective communication patterns. And he's a real man who feels. Yes. Welcome to the show, Vince. Thank you. Th- thanks, Andy. And uh, wow, I'm glad you introduced uh, the show that way and brought up the challenge that you were facing with the title. So, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to be here. I loved connecting with you when we first spoke. It was just awesome. We just immediately meshed. And uh, you mentioned that to me, the conflict that you were having. So I want to distinguish what real men feel means for me uh, and why I think it's such an important title. And I can understand why some people might react to that and maybe not feel it's a a good title because it can kind of have a connotation of good and bad, right and wrong. And I say outside of that, that, that perspective, real meaning authentic. I think there is a difference between men who are authentic, that they are in touch with their feelings. They're not covering things up. They're not hiding things, pretending, um, attempting to dominate and control you know, circumstances and people, places and things as a result of their deep sense of inferiority and insecurity. They're, you know, they're, they're basically not being true to all that they really are and all their real potential. And they tend to wreak havoc. And I was one of those men, which is why I get that. And I don't consider that to be a real man. I also grew up with uh, an abusive stepfather. um, And I don't consider that to be a real man either. I think that was a very inauthentic expression of masculinity, which was a cover up for the pain that I knew that he had in his heart. And I've discovered later and years later that that's really what was there and drove him to be a certain way. But, you know, as we get in touch with who we are essentially and we deal with our pain, we deal with our hurts, we get authentic about it, we share with others, we discover there is a real aspect to masculinity and manhood. And so I'm excited to be here and uh, explore this further with you. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, I, I love how you phrase that and, and really taking authentic as part of the real. That, that's what we're referring to this. But uh, as was with the case with like all words, you know, context matters. So, yes. when you, yeah, so anytime I invite anyone, when you realize you're triggered by the name or the title of something, just like, all right, well, what's, what's the full context of that? And maybe it's actually something you're triggered because there's something there for you to explore, right? It's an invitation. Yeah. Not a maybe, but a definitely. Yeah. Um, whenever you're triggered, there's something there to explore. Yeah. <laughs> there's cool. something else to ask, access. Yeah. So, so you already mentioned uh, your childhood. So were, were you always kind of open and willing to feel or was that not the case mm-hmm. when you were younger? You know, you know, as a little kid, I, you know, I suppose 
I was pretty intuitive and sensitive and aware. Um, I almost had a, I, I seem to have a, a higher rate of perception of time than, than most of my friends and companions, right? I, I was very fast, like in the soccer field. I was just quick. I was a martial artist. I seemed to be able to like play tricks on people physically uh, that I just had a greater sense of speed of time uh, or awareness of time. And uh, things seemed to be slow to me and I seemed to be faster than the things around me. <laughs> um, so there was a certain sensitivity. I could feel people and I was somewhat empathic, but I wasn't very compassionate uh, I had empathy in that I could feel people, but I also had like kind of like a little bit of a rougher, meaner side, a little bullyish side sometimes. Mm. Um, so it wasn't until after going through that, you know, witnessing my mother being severely abused and the, the dark hole that plunged me into and then all the world of pain and suffering that came years afterwards and me finally turning my life around that I began to develop a sense of real compassion and sensitivity um, to others where I used that to actually help and heal and support other people through their journey. So was it, it was really then, you know, I often talk about that, that there's a gift in, in our shit. And so, yes. so your experience with an abusive stepfather kind of woke you up emotionally or to realize that, you know, wow, I've, I've got this kind of bullyish edge to me too. And now I'm seeing it played out on a much bigger stage and in a, in a, to a bigger extent. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that woke me up. I would say that actually plunged me deeper into the darkness first. Hmm. And, you know, I felt, uh, you know, witnessing that, you know, I was just actually writing my story out for my new program, but, you know, it really drove me to a sense of like helplessness, utter helplessness. Um, there was terror, there was fear, but at the bottom of it all was this like, this like total destituteness of power. Like I had nothing that I could contribute to help my mother to stop the situation. Uh, and this feeling of helplessness then became something I felt terribly ashamed about. Um, and I didn't want anyone to know because mm. I had this image of in my mind of what a man should be based on my real dad, who was a tough guy. And I did respect and admire my stepdad to some degree uh, because he was also a tough guy. You know, and he taught me good things. He did good things, too. He wasn't just an evil guy. I mean, he shared many good things with me. So it was kind of confusing. But, you know, I, I felt like I wasn't enough. And that feeling like I wasn't enough, you know, just it just it just turned into this emptiness within that I carried into school, which then attracted bullying. And I mean, it was just like life was mirroring my own self negation, basically mm. as an 11 year old, sixth grader, new public school, no friends. It was just life just started turning against me. I mean, I got tapped on my shoulder rapidly. One day I was outside, it was slightly raining and I turned left and I got hit with the hardest punch I've ever gotten in my entire life. And I've had a lot of street fights and this guy fractured my cheekbone. He just hit me for no reason, just wanted to hit someone that day. And I was the guy he chose. Hmm. And that's the kind of stuff I was going through. And I was bullied left and right from different ways. But that really shocked me. And so I was just like, I was sick of it, man. And I wanted to find a way out. That led me to get involved in a gang, uh, feel protected from that. And just it just continued to spiral into ever more decreasing levels of darkness and suffering that I was causing to others and myself. Hmm. Is it only now in hindsight or e even during it, did, did you know like, wow, th this is not good for me and I'm, I'm not being good towards others or was, it, was that just all mm -hmm. gone? You know, it started to go um, during when I witnessed the gang members that I was involved with initiating others. There was a sense in my heart that I, I, didn't, I didn't really appreciate that. I didn't mind fighting two or three people myself as one person, right? Like I was kind of crazy and wild and I was pretty badass. But I, I didn't like the two, three, four, five on one 
domination thing. There's something in my heart that I didn't feel right about. So I didn't really participate a lot in that. Or if I did, I was there, but I just, I couldn't engage. Um, but then as I got involved with drugs and alcohol, my mind started to slip into greater realms of darkness to the point where I was even, you know, severely contemplating murdering a guy for $10,000 that he just showed my friend and I, and my friend wouldn't do it with me. I started thinking, how can I kill my friend and kill the guy and get away with it? That's how dark my mind was. And the only reason I didn't do it, God's honest truth was that I couldn't figure a way to get away with it. Like I just couldn't find a way to get away. With it. I'm like, they know I'm with this kid and you know, they're going to question me. And I would, you know, I was hell bent that I was going to shoot both of them for 10 grand. So, I mean, it's just, that's how dark it got for me. So at that point, I would say I was completely void of compassion and any level of empathy and respect for another human being. Hmm. And, and so what age is this that we're talking about? Uh, that was probably around 18 years old. Wow. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. So you're pretty deep into gang life, crime, violence. Yeah. Did, did it, are you just aware, is life really just a day at a time and an hour at a time at that point? Or you're like, oh, my five-year plan for this violent life is this. Yeah. Yeah, no, my dream was to be a mafia kingpin uh, from 11 years old. Um, that was another aspiration I had that seemed like a, a way of uh, gaining power. Uh, I had read books, watched movies. Um, that seemed to me a way out of my own inadequacy, my own sense of weakness. You know, reflecting back at the time, it was just a very simple like, hey, that's what I want to be. I want to be powerful like those guys, tough like those guys, because I felt so weak inside, you know? So there, there was definitely an attraction to that that lifestyle, yeah. that power, that that... Yeah, probably. Hmm. Was can, do you know if it was more your own sense of being powerful, or was it more the way that people would look at you as fearing you or respecting you? Yeah, it was like a protective mechanism. The second you know statement you made is more yeah. of it, like a way of yeah. feeling like people would look at me a certain way, and I did develop that image. I mean, people did fear me. I had a reputation. Um, eventually, that got old, and I got more interested in making money, less in concerned about the power because I, I had achieved that basically like people knew I was a badass I had a surrounding group of people that you know were there for me and, and people knew that so it was like you know I felt safe to be whoever I wanted do whatever I wanted pretty much but it was more of a focus on making money through drugs and crime and that kind of thing and so uh, what I was gonna say I know you're not doing this today so somewhere along the way like so what what brought <laughs> right. that to the end what what caused yeah. you to to change your path yeah. So, you know, uh, eventually I started dipping into the use of cocaine that I was selling. I had decided I would not use it and I was selling, making money, doing great financially speaking, but I got curious. People were telling me stuff was good. So I dipped into it and, you know, I did a little bit at a time here and there on my own, no peer pressure or anything like that, uh, just because I had tons of it. And um, eventually I met some, some group of people that uh, I was doing some deals with and uh, they were heavy partiers. And uh, they actually, it was a kid that I had almost had a fight with back in school days. So I thought, and I went in with guns in my waist and I was like, I'm either going to have a shootout, you know what I mean? Because I got invited and I knew who this kid was, or we're going to be great friends and do a good deal and, and make money together. I went in and he was immediately welcoming. He was like, Vince Polito, you know? And like, I was like, all right. And the tone was like friendly. So I got in, I didn't leave his house for four days. That was the first time I used drugs to that extreme. We were doing special K, ecstasy, cocaine, drinking, smoking. I mean, everything was happening. And I literally for four days straight did not sleep. We just continued to use. And then that became a kind of recurring habit and pattern that eventually exhausted my body and my nervous system and uh, to the point where I overdosed and almost lost my life. And that, that was the moment when I decided I needed to change. So 
did you wake up in a hospital and have this like realization or, or how exactly did that unfold? Yeah. So I was, uh, we were partying for a couple of days. Uh, I had been arrested previously. I had two felony charges with intent to distribute marijuana and cocaine and, uh, had been court ordered to a rehab, but didn't take it seriously. Got invited to go out, started drinking, started doing some coke, you know, we're partying for a couple of days. Not even that intense compared to some of the things I'd done before. I started having these micro seizures, uh, early in the morning as we're heading out down the elevator to go to my car. We're going to drive out. We're going to pick up some more coke. And um, my body's like shaking and trembling. My friends are asking me, all right? I'm like, yeah, we're good. We get in the car, we're driving, get to the intersection right outside of the apartment complex. I'm swinging a left and I went unconscious. Uh, what I heard, what I was told was, you know, my friend who was next to me pulled the steering wheel over to the right. His car stalled, had a stick shift sports car. We ended up in the grass. He dragged me out of the car because I was not conscious. Some lady stopped. He was waiting for help. I guess some lady stopped. He said, uh, check my pulse. And she screams, he's got no pulse. He's got no pulse. So my friend just remembered CPR, he said, and jumped on me and gave me CPR, he told me. And, um, you know, I, what I remember is just waking up on the sidewalk. I was flat on the sidewalk. I woke up, they sat me up, and um, I started puking what looked like blood. I mean, it was like red, and it was just nasty. And my consciousness was not fully normal. Uh, I could see, sense, and hear everything around me, but there was no cognition or recognition or understanding or comprehension of what was in front of me. And then little by little, I just, I'll never forget my brain just started to kind of like sizzle back together and their words stopped being just mouth and sounds and stuff like that. And I started to hear words and comprehend and they were like, you know, Hey, 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 are you okay? Like whatever. And I was like, what the hell just happened? You know? And then they started to fill me in. And so in, in that moment you decided not doing this again. This is enough. It wasn't right there. Cause I was still a little dazed from everything. Mm. Um, and whatever happened to my body, my nervous system, my brain, my heart stopped beating. However much time my brain, if they were, were losing oxygen, I don't know, you know, how long it was exactly. Um, but it was when I got into the hospital, I was handcuffed to the bed. It was a violation of, I was on probation. So using drugs was a violation. So they handcuffed me and put me in, in the hospital. I'm sitting there and I'm like handcuffed and I'm like, man, like I'm contemplating everything that happened. Cause they told me, and I'm realizing, man, if I continue this way, I'm going to die. And I also realized, like, they told me my heart stopped beating and I pretty much was dead. And I had no encounter with anything at all. It was just empty nothingness. And I was not aware of anything. So I was frightened at the fact of dying and that dying would be the end of existence completely and utterly. And so I began to question, like, is there anything else after we die? You know, and God, I don't want to die. I don't want to continue this life. So in that moment, in the bed, in those moments there, I, I made a decision I needed to stop. And, uh, I pretty much made almost a complete hard U-turn. I mean, I did dip into Coke three more times, literally three more times. And each time I did it, fortunately for me, it was progressively more distasteful and painful and it didn't produce any good feelings for me. Um, and I just knew I needed to get away from everybody that I was associating with. So I literally cut off all my social ties. Uh, the people that owed me money, I just told them like, Hey, Merry Christmas guys. Like it's all yours. You know, I don't want none of it. And I owed some people money and I said, fuck you. Like, not going to pay you. Um, I'm out of this game. I'm not going to contribute to that no more. And, uh, you know, fortunately I was powerful enough to not have to worry about any retribution for that kind of stuff because I was the man in my circle. You know what I mean? So I just cut it out and I was like, that's it. And, uh, and then I began a long, hard journey into recovery. I, I got court ordered to recovery again because of the violation of probation. This time I took it seriously and I spent a lot of time in nature and I started to deal with the consequences of the drugs 
meaning uh, the psychological turmoil, uh, the feeling of depression because dopamine wasn't being naturally produced anymore. I had to mm. shot my brain now, like down completely. All the receptor sites were just overused from all the Coke and everything else. And, uh, you know, I struggled through that time. And a lot of that time I was alone. I didn't want people to see me. I'll be crying on the floor. I wanted to commit suicide. Um, it was deeply painful. Mm. So I just want to back up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it seemed like the, uh, you know, confronting death, and having no sense of anything is kind of what seemed to be the, the, the final alarm for you. So does, does, does that mean that none of your self-destructive behavior was, you know, actually, you know, suicidal mass with things you, you were, you, you were living the life you you, you were kind of happy in your darkness. Does that make sense? I, I was, man. I mean, I certainly had a good time. I partied a lot, but I, you know, I think that that moment of near death for me was was a fulfillment of a verdict I cast upon myself during those first moments of realizing that my mother was being terribly abused and beaten by someone that was bigger than me that I couldn't stop. And the shame and the guilt and the, the self-condemnation that ensued very automatically. You know, I mean, that was just the level of thinking I had as a 10, 11 year old boy. And uh, I think that there was a verdict against me, a sentence of death cast against myself. Hmm. And I think for me, the way I look at it, that moment in 1999 was the, the culmination of, uh, of that verdict and that lifestyle that led to it. I mean, I talked about dying. I'll be dead before I'm 18. I made it to 18. I was in my 20s. You know, I was 21, I think, uh, when I overdosed. But uh, yeah, I think I really, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. from a very early age. So from then on, does it, is it a sense of like borrow time and you get the second chance and you're, you know, going to do things differently? Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Um, Yeah, there was that. And then, uh, well, there was really, you know, I struggled with my identity first. Um, I didn't really know who to be. I remember telling my, my new, you know, I made some new friends, um, friends that people I met acquaintances, like in the circles I was running in that I felt were better people started hanging out with them. They're like a hippie crowd, smoke weed, did some LSD and stuff like that, but they weren't like Coke users and criminals and thugs, you know what I'm saying? Like murderers, like I hung out with, you know? So I hung out with these guys and, um, I remember saying one great friend of mine who was like a mentor to me because he seemed to live an upright life. was a good hearted dude. And uh, I said, man, I don't know how to be, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to act like like my thoughts were so corrupt and I was afraid to do anything almost, you know, it's like practically paralyzed, had no identity. Um, and he just looked at me and he's like, just be. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, man. Like be what? Like, cause all I knew of myself was like this gang member, you know, mafia kingpin wannabe drug dealing, drug using violent, you know, gunpoint robbing individual, you know, now I'm like, trying to be like a new person. So it was very challenging to discover a new self. And I started going to the library. I was spending a lot of time in nature contemplating the universe. I got very like interested in like how the universe came into existence and, you know, questioning whether life was, you know, going to continue after we die and is God real and what is God anyway. And I started reading a lot of different things, philosophical texts, uh, spiritual texts, uh, started practicing Zen Buddhist meditation. And that was a little bit of access for me to a new way. I started calming down, my, my, my mind stopped being as reactive, but I also noticed that memories began to surface. That's when I started to really remember the abuse that my mother was going through, the pain of my childhood. Hmm. And that's when I started having to face all that repressed pain and trauma. And that, that plus 
the recognition of the pain and consequence that I caused to others. Cause now I'm looking at I'm like, wow, I overdosed. I almost died. Like what, what did you produce and almost cause out there for others? You were actually disseminating tons of drugs, you know, out into the world. Um, and then this sense of guilt came upon me and then it was like this unworthiness and all this pain and confusion of the memories, plus the sense of guilt for the realization of my behavior and what it was potentially causing in the world. I was like, I need to kill myself. And I struggled with suicidal thoughts severely um, to the point where I, I even beat myself physically with fists. Um, I had a switchblade to my throat one day, you know, ready to just totally off myself and just slice into my jugular. And I'm pressing into my neck really hard. And then something in my, my nervous system just, just broke. It just let go. And I just broke down in tears and, um, and like a sense of surrender. And I just like fell into the floor and there was just this sense of something there, like a feeling, a presence of just support. I almost feel like I want to tear just right now talking about it. I never really get that when I share this, but um, you know, I felt very supported and, and some kind of peace. And then I remember hearing the song, Oh, Holy Night, and uh, just play through my mind. And um, I remember learning that song in elementary school. I had gone to a, a Christian elementary school. And that song started to play through me. And um, yeah, I just, I just let go. And I just felt like something was okay. And like I was okay. And there was a stillness and a quietness inside of me. Mm. And it was like the terror that was in my mind just stopped. And that's really powerful. Mm. To back up a little bit, was it harder to give up the drugs or harder to give up the people that you're used mm -hmm. to spending so much time with? So glad you asked that question. Cause I work a lot in recovery and I, and I tell people it's not the drugs. That's going to be the challenge. It's the social dynamic. Mm -hmm. I was more addicted. I just told my, my girl last night, we were sitting down and talking about some of that past. And I said, what really addicted me was sitting at a table, glass table, throwing a few ounces of cocaine on the table, cutting up lines for everybody. And then having that conversation for hours on end and interacting and, and just drinking and like smoking and doing whatever we were doing. Like that was like more of the addiction. There was a whole energetic presence of everyone and the connectivity and that just really lured me in more than anything. And it was hard to let all that go. And the lifestyle of crime, the sense of power, the money that I made, you know, counting my money in stacks of thousands, you know, like instead of 20, 40, 60, 100, it was 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000. You know what I mean? Like to go from that to like, you know, now I got to work a job and make 15, 12, 10 bucks, eight bucks an hour actually is what I started making initially at a construction labor job, $8 an hour. Oh. Yeah, quite different. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned going to a, a, a Christian school, and I did want to ask if you were raised in any sort of religion, had any sense of spirituality until this point in your life? No, you know, I went to the school. We did, we did the things that we did. Um, what, what I got when the All Holy Night came through, I, I didn't mention this part, but for me, it was not so much that I had a religious or spiritual background, like, cause I didn't, I don't, I, I didn't even believe the Bible as a kid. Like I wasn't, I had a lot of questions. Like I wasn't really connected, engaged. And I totally utterly rejected Christianity ultimately. Um, but when that song came through, what was there for me that really saved me, I think was just the realization that there were good people. Like I just remember the teachers. I remember the care. I remember the parents of the other students and they were very different than the world that I had been hanging out in the last you know, 11 years of my life or so. So, you know, it was very comforting to remember that. And I feel very fortunate. I think in a big way, it was the difference that made the difference for me that I had some experience or exposure 
to people who had maybe that faith, even though I didn't as a kid, I was around them. And then the memory of their presence, their love and their care and, you know, their, whatever their Jesus relationship was, which was, you know, reflected in their behavior in some way, shape or form, it impacted me. And I'm crumbled on the ground, you know, about to kill myself here in Oh Holy Night and then remembering this whole culture and realizing like, wait a minute, there's good in the world and there's good people in the world. Hmm. So you stand up from that point when you're crumpled, you're hearing Oh Holy Night. And, yeah, and what well, happens? I, I continue crying a bit and I, I do get up from that and there's a sense of peace and, you know, a lot happened. There's so much to say. I mean, there's no one, two, three or five or even 10 things. There's so many different conditions that I set up from my meditation practice to my studying, to my spending time in nature, to um, really seeking enlightenment was a big thing. I, I remember reading Celestine Prophecy by James Redfield and um, he talked about how to escape those dramas, the way that we steal energy from each other, which I identified with so quickly. I saw that in my family dynamic and the world I was in. And I was like, but he said that, you know, only when a person has a connection to the divine within, do they finally start living above that, that I got to get energy from others kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And but you got to seek an, you know, an enlightened moment or whatever. So I was like, I need that. You know, how do I get that? You know, and then I'm reading books on, you know, Zen and, and, uh, other forms of, of Buddhist, uh, practice and principles. And they're talking about enlightenment and there's Satori and then Nirvana and then like reading the Hindu stuff and the yogic stuff. And like, there's supposedly the supreme bliss states. So I'm like, I gotta have this. <laughs> and, uh, I remember meditating one morning and really fasting. And like, I'm just like really trying to get this experience. And, uh, you know, I come down my stairs one day and, uh, I just knew something was about to happen. There was a giddy feeling in my, my the stomach, like butterflies and the sense like, I'm going to meet God. You know, it was like really that simple. And I just felt like, like as if God was like playing hide and seek with me and tapping me on the shoulder. And I'm like, where are you? Where are you? And I'm walking down the stairs and I got this elated, like uplifting my heart, just my chest opened up, my head looked up. I got to the bottom of the steps and I just, my vision was inverted. Like I just was staring inwardly and it was just, a, a space of just infinite brilliance, like just pure light. I fell to my knees and the first thing out of my mouth was the words, Jesus Christ. And I didn't see a man, but I just knew that this space was when people talk about Jesus Christ, like this and the love part and the, like the forgiveness part and the healing part, like I was in it, but I was in me, which was interesting. It was like, I knew I was interior. It wasn't out there. It was like the very center of my own existence. And I was in this and I, First said Jesus Christ, but then I was stood up. Like I literally, there was a power that just lifted me to my feet. And um, I knew that I also was a son of God. Like, and I, I just knew that I was born out of this space that I just was a witness to, right? As an experience, all my senses were tuned into it. And I knew this was my essence. And I'm like, it was like, it was like the joke was over. Like the, the history I'm coming from that it was all just a game. It was all just like a, you know, and here I am in the, in the, at the beginning, which is the end, same thing. It was like, this is where it all comes from. And, and haha, <laughs> you thought all that was real, you know what I mean? But you, you can never die. It was like, that was the idea. Right. And I was like, it was like the immortality and the recognition of immortality. And I tell everyone, there was nothing more pleasurable than the recognition of your own immortal nature. And I had it in that moment and it was the surest thing that I've ever encountered in my life then or now. There's just nothing greater than that for me. Mm. Yeah. I'm uh, consistently amazed of how many 
spiritual internal experiences can just blow the roof off of any drug can. Totally. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and I had a sense for me. So I, I've had, I've done cocaine know, five to 10 times in my life, maybe. And I was always disappointed. Like, I, all right, I'll try this drug. Ah, this, this is not enlightenment. This is not the God sense I'm looking for. Ah, this is crap. And I'm like, is this going, I mean, remember just my limited, ah, punching balls. This is drugs. This is drugs. Ah, this is horrible. This isn't what I'm looking for. And, you know, but like, not, that's why I never became big into drugs because nothing matched what I was really after. Mm. Um, and the clo- like breath work was kind of the closest. Mm. Um, and then having realizing and take, or, uh, Stanislav Grof, who created holotropic breathwork, first experimented with LSD, and he would take drugs and then just lay down and go in. Yes. I was like, oh, like I'm, I'm taking mushrooms, running around the woods, raising hell. Like, oh, I gotta take drugs and just chill. <laughs> you know, yes. but uh, I still have it. But I just uh, the breathwork I've done a number of times. Mm. But yeah, there, there's so much more in us, and the way to get outside of us is by going within. And it's not chasing substances or lifestyles or money. It's yeah, that, that Christ consciousness is, is in us. Like source is in us. And, and, and that's a perfect place to go now with the real men feel part, because I am, I am passionate. I want to get other people to experience that. And what I found through all these years of journeying, and I mean, I got really deep into the Bible, wanting to get into Christianity because now I had this encounter with Jesus and I was anti-Christian up until that moment. I would study anything and everything, but the Bible or Jesus or any Christian thing. And uh, now I'm like, got to go to church and figure this thing out. Found out the churches are very mixed in all kinds of different beliefs and you know, a lot of value there and a lot of also not so valuable things and uh, not quite what I encountered. And I certainly wasn't re-experiencing what I had experienced. And I'm wanting to tell people like, we're all connected to God and like, we all come from God. And like, people thought it was insane. And the people in the church thought it was insane. I'm like, no, but I'm telling you, I'm a witness to the fact that this is so like for me, for you, for everyone. Oh no, not everyone. You know what I mean? Some people go to hell and like, and I'm like, well, I'm telling you, I saw something that proved that we can't escape God, no matter how hard we try. You know what I mean? But I didn't understand what was the barrier because now I'm back in my ordinary consciousness. I have a memory now of this super conscious moment, right? And um, and I'm just like, but I don't have knowledge and tools and you know none of that. I'm just a real. I'm 21, maybe 22 almost at the time, and I'm just like, I gotta help people figure this out. So I. I did start studying the Bible. I got grounded in biblical teaching that related to my experience. I was able to to get that connection. I had a good mentorship. Um, I did learn about the turned offness of the churches uh, by encountering it myself. And then many people who didn't want to hear anything about my Jesus encounter because they knew who I was if I said the word Jesus, you know what I mean? And I'm like, but that's not me, but it was too late. They already had boxed me in. So I'm like, I got to find ways to reach people. And I continue to search. And uh, I had a marriage that went really haywire. And I, I was very spiritual, very life, all loving. You could tell me, fuck you to my face. And I would be like, I love you, man. Like, give me a hug. Like, I had no reaction to, to anything. And then I got married. And, and it just stirred up a whole world of things I wasn't ready for. And I fought for that marriage to the death almost like literally just took everything out of me. And uh, my wife had tremendous pain and trauma in her past and nothing I did, all my prayers and all my spiritual practices and principles and everything I was doing that was helping so many other people failed with her. 
And so I'm like, I got to hit the drawing board again. Like, what am I missing? And that led me into studying all forms of, you know, different therapeutic practices, behavioral psychology, understanding this power of the subconscious mind, um, how the human nervous system works, neuroscience and uh, encounter groups and transformational trainings. And, you know, I just like dove into all these other things that I had never availed myself of. And I started to learn like, wow, there's ways that we can bring people together and interact and communicate and relate that allows them to experience the God moment without me even having to mention such a thing. Like they'll just sense this immense amount of love and presence through the way they relate to each other and get breakthroughs and healing and get through the barriers of their mind. So like now that's the world I live in. And so, you know, when it comes to this real men feel, I think it's not just real men, it's real people. And, um, but men need this more than uh, they probably realize uh, because we're conditioned a lot to not be emotionally sensitive or aware. And, uh, and in fact, that it's even a bad thing or it's a thing that reduces our masculinity, which is a total aberration. It's a departure from what's possible in our spiritual experience. Um, our emotions are an access to all the richness of ourself. Um, they are not reality necessarily like as a total reality but they are real in that they do indicate things right i mean you might feel like shit and might have an emotion of helplessness or worthlessness well it's not unreal it's there but it it isn't the full story it but it does communicate something that is unless we listen to that and follow that through and trace it all the way around to what it's conveying we don't get the, the restoration to the fullness of the self that we really are. There is, there is those, um, those lower emotions that we're avoiding and we don't want to feel and share and talk about even are the emotions that are connected to the lies and the self negating uh, conclusions that we've made at various moments in our life that we then are compensating for. And that's what creates an inauthentic way of being and acting and expressing in our relationships in our world. And that's what causes these breakdowns in relationships uh, because there's these deeply recessed and hidden hurts and wounds that come out very, very powerfully inside of intimate relationship, especially, but it could be in the workplace. It could be in your social dynamics of any kind, but really an intimate relationship is where that stuff really, it gets pricked. Yeah. And it shows that there's some incomplete stuff there and there's some hurts there. And I think few people, men and women, are equipped to actually work through that uh, based on my own observation of just the human beings and all the people that I work with over the last 20 years almost now. Yeah. You know, So it's important that we start to have this conversation and do the work related to it. Yeah, that, right. That's the key. You, talking about it is one thing. For, first, you have to be aware of it, realize there's something and there's something you can do. But if you never take the action, you, you're not much better off than you were um, before the awareness even now or it could be me more painful well i know i have this issue i know it can be addressed but i'm still not doing anything so it can be even more painful that that for those moments of uh before you actually you know dive in and do the work but you know I th- that, that's why we're here right there, there's things that uh, you know we are eternal spiritual beings um, that is not something I believed growing up. I didn't want anything to do with that, but that's, I definitely have enough experiences personally, um, meeting other people. Yeah, we, we are eternal. Um, this body will decay and die, but then we, we do other things. But there are things that here in this physical form here on earth that processing our emotions, dealing with wounds, dealing with hurts, doing all that can only be done here, right? And if you don't do it here, you're really, 
it, it, you're handicapped going forward, right? Mm. You, you, you didn't get everything done. You're not the full God being. You're not the full light. You're not everything that you can be. And I always tell people that when, when you get to the point where whatever negative emotion shows up and you're willing to feel it in the moment, it passes quickly, easily. And on the other side of every bad emotion is, is peace again. It, it's love. It's light. But we've all been brought up to not want to go. We don't want to feel the pain. So we hide it, we hide it, we hide it. Now we have this huge stockpile of shit that we're carrying around everywhere. And it gets triggered by someone cutting you off in traffic or you, you don't get the job you wanted. And ah, there's just this huge ball of fury, especially in men, that's just ready to go at any time. But until you have the dark night of the soul, or many of them, as it seems I've had, and I think you have too, to, to really process that, to, to feel all the feelings that we've left unfelt within our experience. But th- that's the only way to a better future, a better life, where everything can just, yep, oh, bad, feel good, bad, good. It's all whatever shows up. Shame, guilt, yep, okay, yep, good, that's good. Like emotions are energy in motion. They, they want to be processed, move through us, and then we're on to the next thing. It's when we stop that, that we get into a lot of trouble. Totally. And I'm really, you know, I'm really grateful for what you're sharing and for the fact that you're spreading awareness, um, particularly towards men, because I do see men as a, you know, I I do believe there's an equality among men and women, but there is a distinctness. Um, I think the equality doesn't mean sameness. I don't think equality means same power, same abilities, same everything. No, there's an equality in that they're inseparable. Um, It's important that we relate that way to one another, but it's also important that we understand the difference between men and women. And, you know, women uh, particularly need men uh, to start showing up in their authenticity as leaders. Uh, We, we are the forefront of, of everything uh, as the strength and as the, uh, directness and the, the lead, uh, that is the masculine quality, right? In, in most sense, right? Women have that quality as well to some degree. Um, but men typically embody that more in the body, right? Than a woman and, and men, it's good for men to be strong and have strength and be powerful. And women love that, but that strength and that power has to be, you know, uh, fully developed to lead a man back into his own subconscious into his own emotion uh, and emotional awareness and his own ability to uh, properly communicate and relate what is there for him so that the woman or women in his life can can learn from him and feel him and understand him and then in turn he can learn from her by giving her the same space. I mean, women tend to uh, naturally express themselves, share themselves with others, generally speaking, right? Maybe not all women. There's women who are just repressed and, or even very masculine-like in their, that masculine shut down, I'm tough, kind of cold, hard, kind of so-called masculine mode. Um, but generally women find it easier to socialize and share and talk about their feelings and what's going on in the world. And men can tend to be a little bit more like stoic, you know, like I'm good everything's good, you know, but deep down inside I'm rotting and, you know, I don't know how to manage that. And it's affecting all areas of my life, the way I relate to my children, the way I relate to my wife, the way I relate to my coworkers, you know, like it, 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 we need to start opening the interior domain of thought and emotion to each other. Um, and I think men taking this on, um, is going to revolutionize the world. Yeah. The, the, and I'm seeing more and more of it, the realization that, that, 
strength isn't just one thing, right? You, a man needs to be strong enough to be vulnerable. You have to have strength to be authentic. You have to be strong enough to say that I am feeling really weak and shaky. I don't know what the hell I'm doing right now, right? It takes (laughs) tremendous strength to take your mask down. Yeah. But too many people think that stronger means no, thicker mask, thicker mask, right? More, more lies, project more and, and deny myself more and more. And that, yeah, it's a spiral downward. Yeah. I thought it was tough because I could face five guys, you know, rushing me in a fight with with no reaction of fear but just like i'm ready like you know having reached a point where it's like nothing in my nervous system is is reacting in fear wanting to turn away from that and then thinking that was real strength and meanwhile what i ended up finding over the years is like man i just was covering up some serious insecurity and weakness in my soul and i got really good at it i mean i was i was in the biggest of lies and then to have to come and face those feelings of weakness and share that publicly and with other people that was the most terrifying and horrifying thing. I found it was so scary to do. And uh, it takes, like you said, great strength and courage to be able to do that. In fact, it's the greatest of strengths that I've ever encountered myself. So with that, with that, that risk-taking and that facing those fears and, and being yourself and letting people know about your pain and what you've gone through, what's been the benefit? What's the payoff from that for you? Well, well, one, uh, the first thing that comes up is that I find that it opens other people up around me. Um, they relate quickly. Uh, working in recovery centers uh, with people who've been struggling with drug addiction or have been diagnosed with various mental health conditions, uh, working with up to 20 to 50 in a group at a time, you know, for a few hours, a couple hours, um, has, you know, sharing the story, um, not just sharing my story, like, this is what I went through and now I'm all good. I literally would show up. Um, in, in those groups. And I would, if I was having a conflict with my girlfriend at the time, or, um, you know, was dealing with uh, you know, powerful waves of insecurity and uncertainty, um, or even financial issues. Like I would, I would convey that, um, like, this is what I'm dealing with now. And I just, I, I, I don't want you guys to think that I'm coming in here, like some kind of like, I got it all figured out and I'm your light, you know, and, and lead out of the darkness. Like, yeah, yeah, I bring a lot of light, but here's what's really going on. Like I'm with you in the journey, maybe in a different way. Maybe drugs isn't my thing right now that I'm struggling with, or, or maybe some of the old past traumas aren't the same, you know, uh, having the same effect on me that they used to, but I'm now dealing with this current stuff in my life. And, you know, I'm realizing like, man, I, I haven't been vulnerable with my girlfriend and communicating with her authentically that I realized I was still hiding something and I had to come clean and tell her that, you know, I was reacting from a place of inauthenticity and, you know, I would literally share the specific incident of the day. Um, and I found that that was really, um, transformative for them, uh, because it would just cause them to pop like popcorn and want to start speaking up about what they were going through. And then they could do that in turn. And I saw the relief it would bring to each of them. So that's, I would say that's one of the biggest benefits is just seeing others around me. Um, open up and release uh, and feel safe to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I marvel at this over and over in, in men's groups when there'll just be absolute silence and then, you know, thinks that that bravest first person to say something. And then it's almost like a competitive nature or wanting to share, but like, Oh yeah, me too. Oh no, I was like that too. Yeah. I meant to say, you know, it's like every, suddenly. Yeah. And again, that's it, time and time again, realize in that silence, I always remind guys like, all right, remember last week when, we were quiet and then someone shared this and then suddenly everyone had it. Whatever you're thinking in your head right now, other people are thinking of that too. And if, if you're willing to sh- put it out loud, 
you're, you're giving everyone permission to start talking about that as well. But yeah, we're, we're, we're all walking around just these corked up entities, just, you know, someone give me permission. Someone take my cork out. Like I'm ready to blow. Um, and when you do it in a safe, supportive place of, of sharing and where authenticity and your vulnerability is supported and welcomed, you can just, you can just heal so much. Absolutely. You know, what I'm finding recently that is, uh, and I say recently, like within the last few weeks is that I still, um, you know, uh, with, uh, Elena, um, my, um, beautiful partner in life, uh, and in, in this work, um, is that I still struggle to communicate as things arise in the relationship. Um, you know, there's like needs that are there that are unmet that are not even like known as a need. Um, and then there's things that aren't being spoken and like, you know, uh, maybe she's not, give me the attention that I feel that I want for the day. And because she's dealing with something or something's on her mind or whatever. And I notice I still like, I want to connect and like, maybe she's not. And like, and then I'm like, how do I talk about this in a way that doesn't lead to conflict or make her feel wrong? Or, and I notice that I still sometimes struggle with ways of communicating. So I'm, you know, I'm pulling all these new tools together on, um, you know, and I've been teaching communication stuff for years. So it's like, you know, I, I, you know, I never want people to think that I reached the climax of like perfection because I, 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 I'm, I'm, there's always another way and there's always more, there's another level and uh, more efficiency even or effectiveness basically. And so I'm learning like there's, you know, some, 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 what we need to be in touch with is our feelings and emotions for sure, because they are indicators of needs, right? And and once we tap in and understand what the actual needs are, and I realize few of us have language for this, and even though I've been doing research and study into this for you know almost 20 years, you know, how can I communicate and share my feelings and grow spiritually and mentally and emotionally with other human beings? I'm like still missing pieces, right? But you know, there's a whole list of needs that we don't know about. There's a whole list of feelings and sensations that um, go on in our body that we're not sure how to articulate. We, our language isn't necessarily geared up. We're not trained to speak and um, talk and share about these things or interact because it doesn't even have to just be talking. There's actually specific physical interactions and dynamics between other people, such as breathing together, uh, looking into each other's eyes as you do breathe together. Um, sometimes it could just be gentle physical touch. Um, it could be hugging and breathing together. Um, and that doesn't have to be just with your intimate partner. I can do this with guys too, where I hug a guy friend of mine and we'll just, you know, we love each other. We're just like, Hey man, and this feels so at peace and like breathe in and we exhale uh, and like tone out with our voice together. And like, there's just like this bonding moment and it's like just truly a respect and a love, but there's many methods and ways and there's forms of communication, knowing what our needs are, understanding how to share our feelings or even just be aware of our feelings and sensations in the body then know what are the emotions that are there and then share that share what the needs are underneath that and make requests in a, in a kind of neutral way. That's like, Hey, I realize this is the need and I'm asking if you know, you would be willing to support me in this. And if not, that's okay. And like, if we can relate to each other that way, I think the battles of our relationships would virtually cease I think we would just be communicating as these urges arise and instead of them leading to conflict and breakdown, I think all conflict, all breakdown is an unexpressed need that's 
driving us after something that we're not fully clear of. And we tend to blame, shame, make wrong, the external, because we don't know how to own what's going on inside of us powerfully. At no fault of ours, really, we just, we're, it's, it's our lack of knowledge and practice or training in these ways of being and ways of communicating. So I'm very passionate right now in leading people inside of this kind of training that would give them the ability to reduce conflict by being more in touch with who they are on the inside and how to access that and share that. Yeah. I'm, to, to me, the ideal leaders, the best leaders have always just, they just need to be a couple steps ahead of you. Yes. The, the notion that, and yes, I've, I fall into this trap of, I, I put past mentors and teachers up on a pedestal and expect them to be perfect. And then they hit troubles in their life. And I'm like, oh no, then all this was bullshit there because they're not perfect. I'm like, oh, maybe no one's perfect. Uh-huh. Right. You just need to be ahead. Well said. And, and think of it, it, it's much, it's the only way you can help someone behind you is when their arms reach. It's got to be a short gap. If you're miles away, I'm helping you. Can't, can't you get my help yet? And like, no, we can't. <laughs> you need to be close to the people you're helping. Well said, man. Well said. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you took note of that and brought that back into the conversation. Because yes, like um, another way I say it, I coach a lot of coaches um, or teachers or healers into how to structure and grow their business and get clients and stuff. And a lot of times there's an insecurity around like, oh, I don't know if I know enough or they're like an aspiring coach. You know, I don't know enough. I haven't been trained enough. I'm, you know, I haven't had enough certifications. And it's like, listen, the, the first grader can help the kindergartner. The second grader can help the first grader. There's always a level above you and there's always a level below you. Yeah. Wherever you are, you are in a position to serve. It's just a matter of recognizing what skills, abilities, and knowledge you have and what contribution you can be and to whom, right? And it's not about trying to position yourself as this expert. Um, you know, it's nice to develop expertise, but there's no such static thing as expertise. Expertise is an ongoing, dynamic, evolving, progressive thing. So just get that you are where you are, you have what you have, and just begin to share and contribute. Yeah, the only the only constant in life is change, and perfection is is a static point. You, you can learn to perfectly navigate the ebbs and flows of everything, but that you know it's not this solid. Oh, I made a statue; it's perfect. It's done. Like no, we're we're always moving, expanding, and ideally, we're always doing the best we can. But our best in any given moment depends on so many different things. Our energy, Absolutely. our sleep, our food, our current knowledge, tools, understanding how to use them. And then just, oh, now I discovered this new thing that would have helped me three years ago, but you can't live in the past. So now I'm better able to tell if that comes around again, I can help or I can help people I meet that are going through that situation. Absolutely. Well said. Cool. Yeah. So, so I know you, you do life coaching, business coaching, and recovery coaching. And, and I wonder, is it often that however, whatever of those three or some of the way that someone comes to work with you, do they end up doing all those things? Like are they really intertwined or not? Um, not really. I wouldn't say that like uh, I business coach everybody that I work with. Uh, although the business coaching I do often ends up having me provide life coaching, which is a very general vague term and recovery coaching because sometimes drugs and alcohol is in the mix, right? Like someone will come to me and say, I need help with my marketing and my business building. And I'm like, okay, great. You know, and uh, let's just take a look at your personal life. What's going on? You know? And I find that, you know, and one example, uh, one client was, 
going on five day cocaine binges, you know, and, and was wondering why their business wasn't getting bigger and better. And, uh, and that led to, okay, let's deal with why you're going out for five days straight on a cocaine binge in Miami instead of, you know, developing your business and fulfilling your purpose. Right. And that led to discovery of childhood trauma, right. And neglect and abuse and, you know, four hours of processing that. And then the drugs were given up and they were on point focused on their business. And I think we had one business coaching and consulting session, uh, just like a basic, you know, like up leveling and, uh, they were off and running <laughs> and it's been great since. So, you know, it could be a variety of things, but. Cool. And, and you mentioned really being passionate about, about the communication aspect and helping people master that right now. So is, is it that or something else that, that right now you're, you're really most fired up about and, you know, mm-hmm. for the coming months and of your business or. Yeah. Well, what I'm really fired up about right now is uh, two things that I'm bringing forth into the world as uh, my vehicle for accelerated transformation and uh, using all the tools that I have to give people breakthroughs with themselves and with others. And that's Purpose and Power Ascension, a three-month program that I'm beginning at the end of the month with a group of coaches that I'm training and that will be supporting the participants with me and then participants of the program. And then I'm also working to train these coaches further in a program I run called The Core Encounter. Um, and The Core Encounter is a six-person group, very intimate, three hours a week for six weeks. And that's where we get face-to-face, literally, eye-to-eye, heart-to-heart, being-to-being, and really go deep to the core and essence of who we are and discover all that stuff that we are not but have believed that we are. And uh, we just uproot a lot of that stuff. And uh, it's very intense, uh, <clears throat> highly emotionally uh, engaging. Uh, it's a training and a coaching experience. And people learn things like uh, how to provide active listening, uh, how to be a space for another human being, a witness to their emotions, feelings, sensations, uh, their hurts and their pains to help bring completion to that individual, which helps bring completion to the people who are witnessing mm-hmm. as well. Cause we all kind of share certain identification with other people's pain. And when people come together in these groups, it's kind of no accident, the people that come together. Right. Yeah. So there's just a lot of that work, but it's, it's not just the communication skills. That's part of it. It is the various processes and uh, interpersonal dynamics, the way I put people together and have them interact that is beyond verbal communication that makes a huge difference. So I'm very passionate about that. And, and where can people learn more about, about those programs? Uh, just going to my website, vincebolito.com. Uh, there is some information about the core encounter there. Purpose of Power Ascension is not on there yet. I have a beta group rolling out that I'm just, I'm enrolling people by word of mouth, personal outreach and some Facebook stuff. Uh, not even a landing page set up. I've got, you know, like 16, I think or so people already to take this journey with me. Um, and it, are the, are these, uh, trainings, is this all, I know I understand the core encounter group is a face-to-face is the training itself. Is this, you know, or is this an online program or in-person program for you or? Yeah, so the core encounter has mostly been in person. This is gonna. I'm gonna start training coaches now, and I'm looking for coaches um, or healers who do relatively, you know, what they would consider to be somewhat coaching work as well, uh, who want to be trained with me and uh, work with me. And I'm gonna teach them the methodology, how to run these groups, and they'll be able to get paid you know, approximately a hundred dollars an hour or more. Uh, to deliver this experience, uh, the protocol that I put together and the structures I've given. And uh, so I'm looking for coaches to train now uh, who want to take this journey of Purpose and Power Ascension, which is a three-month online journey. Um, and, uh, and then once that's complete, 
and I'm not even charging coaches for this. Uh, so it's kind of a rare opportunity for this first rollout. I'm just, you know, I'm looking for coaches who want to participate now. I'm not asking them for any money. I'm going to train them. They're going to deliver a contribution by serving my participants and, uh, and helping me shape and develop this even further. This is not my first rodeo. I'm pretty skilled at what I do, but I like to test things. This is brand new stuff and some of the highest level stuff that I'm putting out. And then after this three month journey, the coaches, if they want to learn how to deliver the core encounter, I'm going to train them also at no charge uh, to deliver that. And when they start facilitating their groups, uh, we'll share the profits. They'll get paid very well to deliver. I'll get paid for uh, my contribution of the program material and the support that they're going to continue to get as I nurture them through uh, their leadership or facilitation uh, abilities. Cool. Cool. Is there anything else, uh, in your future, in your plans for 2020 that has you ex- as excited as that does? or Yeah, live events. Uh, I've done a number of live events in my day, and uh, I think those were all just uh, practice for the real show that I want to, uh, an experience that I want to deliver for people. And, that, uh, and what I'm doing now online is all just set up in preparation for the live event to come, Purpose and Power Live. That will be the opportunity to like really put uh, an entire audience together in such a way that I'm basically duplicating my coaching uh, and my life coaching and, and trauma integration work by uh, training everyone to be uh, a space, a support, uh, an ear, a heart, a mind, a body, a presence for everyone else inside of the room. So I'm going to expand what I do one-to-one or in small groups or in my small audiences into you know, everyone in the room is doing what I do with everyone else. So I think uh, I'm really excited about that. I've waited many years to even put this out there in communication publicly, but I, because I'm very precise in my craft and I'm very uh, careful because we're dealing with some very deep uh, and very difficult things sometimes. And I, I wanted to get it to a place where I felt absolutely confident that I could put a thousand people in a room and that they would get what I could deliver one-to-one. And, and so I'm ready. Uh, and it's, I've actually got that revelation two and a half years ago, maybe that, that that's the next level for me. And I waited two and a half years before I said, okay, now I'm going to put it out there. Cause I still <laughs> wanted to get it just like that. So. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So vincepolito.com is the best place to go for everyone to, to get in touch with you, find out what you're up to. Um, any other social media networks that you're particularly active on or like to Facebook use? Facebook for sure. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, just searching my name, you'll find me, Vince Polito. And uh, yeah, I love talking with people. I offer, you know, discovering breakthrough calls at no charge for people who maybe sense something in my conversation and my sharing. And they're like, okay, like, I think you might have something I need or can use and uh, we can have a conversation to explore. And whether that creates a working business, you know, paid relationship or not, doesn't matter to me. I just, you know, a certain percentage of people always do end up buying coaching with me and some don't. For me, it's just like, I'm out to be a contribution. So uh, I love just sharing and connecting. So take advantage of that and get to know me and see what's possible. I say. Awesome. Awesome. So I really appreciate all that you've shared and that you share with wherever you go and all the things that you create. I, I wonder what are you most proud of? Wow. That's a great question. I, I think I'm most proud of, uh, feeling, um, you know, I remember I was in a small group at a friend of mine and his home. He did a, a group gathering that he would lead. And uh, he asked everyone in the group to share um, uh, what they were choosing to feel this evening in the group. And everybody shared their feeling that they were choosing to feel, you know, I'm choosing to feel joy or I'm choosing to feel peace or I'm choosing for whatever. When he got to me, I didn't know what I was going to say. And I just said, I'm choosing to feel. I'm just choosing to feel. 
And I remember when I said that, that was like, that was like the beginning of a new level for me to go into feeling of getting vulnerable with myself and accessing even deeper emotions and sensations that I had never accessed before. And I was quite a few years ago, it was like three years ago, three and a half, maybe. And uh, yeah, I began a journey that was uh, quite uncomfortable. And this last year was really difficult because I did access all kinds of stuff that was locked up inside of me um, and brought me down to a state of like nearly losing my mind um, because a lot of pain, a lot of trauma still incomplete from the past came up. I am proud of feeling that. I'm proud of allowing myself to go there and sharing it with others and getting support and other men, lots of other men to like talk to and like tell them what was going on and getting the encouragement, the listening, the, uh, the care that I got um, because I had been blocking to a degree another level of healing for myself. So yeah, really proud of that. Cool. Well, I, I'm proud of you. I think this is only the second time we've spoken and yeah, I, I feel a connection to you. I, I feel pride in everything you've gone through and what you're creating and just, yeah, all, all the light, all the awareness you're, you're bringing to everything that you do and uh, keep it up. Mm. Un, un, unfortunately, it is very, very needed. <laughs> like I said, it's unfortunate that it's needed and it's needed. So Andy, I'm glad that you're here. Glad we've connected. I love connecting with you and your story. Intense, man, like your journey. Severe. I mean, you're like, I love you for the extremes that you've been through because I, I don't find a lot of people that can relate to that level of intensity of pain and pleasure and like near death and you know, the suicide. And I mean like the darkness that you've been through. So like kindred spirit, bro, like you're just powerful and the work you're doing that you have a show titled what it is. It's just, man, may it be blessed and may it expand and may it explode because human hearts need to hear it. Women and men are going to be benefiting from everything you do, man. You're a tremendous gift to society. Thank you for being all that you are. Well, thank you very much. And uh, whew, thanks everyone for listening today. I'm sure you got some, some good nuggets out of today and, you know, help both of us spread that light, reach the voices that reach the ears that need to hear our voices and the energy and the growth, the possibility, the expansion that that real men feeling can bring to every relationship, every community, every job. So uh, until next time, as always, be good to yourselves. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Contact us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel. your prostate waking you up more often than your alarm clock? The fact is, the older you get, the more likely you'll have prostate problems, which can affect your everyday life. That's where Prostate Complete by Real Health comes in. Prostate Complete is the result of 20 years of experience as a leader in men's health. The powerful formula in Prostate Complete supports natural prostate function and reduced urinary urges for a better quality of life. Available at Walmart. Visit ProstateOnePerDay.com for special offers. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.